0: how do you choose to treat an enemy who just got hurt do you gloat do you laugh at them do you pile on those suckers when they're down do you try to make it hurt even more so they learn their stupid lesson or when they go low do you choose to go high today's podcast is on the fact that i think class just trumped whiteness or more accurately on how the working white class just got crucified at the altar of the rich today we will talk about how Trump used the notion of whiteness as being under attack and was in need of rescue to position himself for this very moment we find ourselves in right now. We're also gonna talk about what just happened and how did the white working class just lose hard with this new Senate tax reform bill, just like I predicted it would. And the last thing we're gonna talk about is now what? Now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to say? So welcome back to the podcast. I had actually written out two other podcasts before this one, and I couldn't record them today. I couldn't bring myself to get to a place to record the things that I had already written down, because today I found out the Senate just passed the GOP's version of the tax reform bill. And I've been either lower class, poor, or middle class my whole life. So we've always been in what people like to consider the struggle. And honestly, I am just so discouraged today. I am so distraught that I had to completely change everything I was planning on doing and write something and get it ready to send to you tomorrow. So hopefully Sarah's got some time to edit this tomorrow uh because she's in the middle of finals but i had something on my heart and i had something to give and this is it so here we go so as far as the podcast goes i just recently had the ability to finally start advertising again for the podcast which is really exciting i didn't really have the ability to do it during the school year and i just recently figured out how to do that so that should make things more interesting as i think we are going to find ourselves in the ears of new listeners in the very near future and I think I'm going to push this particular podcast a little bit more with the advertising. So if you are a new listener to the Inclusive Activism podcast, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to tune in on this one. If you've been a longtime loyal listener, I want to thank you very, very much for your continued support and your continued listens. Always remember that you have the ability to email me at inclusiveactivism, that's I-N-C-L-U- S-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-M at cox.net or you can call the Inclusive Activism Hotline at 860-576-9393 if you're like, wait, I don't have a pen and I need to write this down. I think younger generations don't realize that people need to find pens and write stuff down with voicemails. This is how it works. You say it again for them. You go 860-576-9393 whoa, whoa, let's try it again, 860-576-9393, again, that number is 860-576-9393, and I would love to hear your thoughts, please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Last FM, Podcatcher, Pocket Casts, uh, there's so many like places that I'm finding this podcast is going, it's really fascinating to see all the different ways and spaces that people are choosing to listen to this podcast. So I'm really excited to see it. Um, also, share it on social media. So if you like this podcast, when you see it go across your social media feed, maybe share that sucker. Let somebody else know that you thought this was of value or amazing too. Also, remember that uh, subscribing on your pod server of choice. Be that uh, Apple Podcasts, be that Stitcher, be that Google Play, be that Last.fm. I don't even know all the different ways player fn overcasts pocket casts stitcher all those different fantastic ways that you intake the podcast please subscribe so you don't miss an episode because that is an important way to show that this matters to you and that this is content you're interested in hearing it will also help me go a long long way to potentially get some advertisements so i can help get my producer paid for this stuff so on every podcast, I'd like to check in on my activism, what have I been doing to act as though this problem is real and I'm trying to make a difference in our community. So in the last couple of weeks, I've actually been horribly busy but the other podcasts talk about those things. So I'm gonna talk about the things I've done in the last week. I went to Air Libre Elementary School to talk about the cost of violence and anger associated with just recognizing and seeing people as labels. And uh, it was really great. It's a wonderful opportunity to get out there and talk with them. I usually don't get to talk with people in ages as young as sixth grade, but it's really cool whenever I go out there. It's neat because when I show up in that space, they just act like I'm a rock star, which is kind of fascinating because I just kind of see myself as a regular old person doing my regular old thing. And I'm also not used to audiences that are so excited to answer all the questions I have. So that was really cool. It was an amazing experience. And I think there's an opportunity for a partnership me to kind of go either to that elementary schools or other elementary schools in my area to kind of talk about why being an inclusive activist why validating the thoughts and opinions and identities of all other people is of great value to others and i also may have found myself an opportunity to go to a free crossfit gym so uh crossfit Choya, i will be visiting you in the very near future crossfit Choya is located in the north phoenix area on 28th Street just north of the 101 and I have not been there as of yet but I have two fantastic friends that work there and that own that place so if you get there before I do I hope to see you in the very near future I am also as far as activism goes in talks with North Canyon High School which is also in my little neighborhood area to do some work with nonviolent communication as a means to understand and find ways to get along with people that you don't necessarily understand or people that you have significant differences with in order to find new avenues and new ways to dialogue with others. So that'll be really cool too. I also had the opportunity to MC a panel at a screening at ASU West, which was part of the new college program there at ASU West. That's where I had done my master's degree. I got my master's of arts in communication studies at asu west through new college specifically and we did a screening of more than a word it's a documentary that was done on the harmful effects of native mascots on indigenous people and it was awesome because i got to meet amanda blackhorse amanda blackhorse is the person that actually brought the legislation forward to say that the the washington redskins can't use the term or the logo because it's kind of weird that you can use the logo of another people as your trademark anyway but also it's a racial slur and you don't think you should be able to use a racial slur as a logo or as a trademark and she actually won that case so she's a transformational figure that actually has done some amazing stuff she's one of my heroes she's a warrior woman an indigenous warrior woman who's just uh, an amazing person and a badass and it was awesome too because uh, I told her uh, once I had the opportunity to have the mic once she was there I promised my mom I promised my sister and I promised my little cousins, my little nieces, I'm sorry, that uh, I would get her a standing ovation because they'll never meet Martin Luther King Jr. But tonight they get to hear from Amanda Blackhorse. And that's awesome. So I got her a standing ovation, and that was really cool. I also got to make a new friend. His name was Jacob Maters. Uh, he does art there over at ASUS and is also indigenous from one of the Californian tribes. So um, I met some heroes and some great friends in person, and I was blessed, blessed, blessed by that opportunity. I also got recognized by a few different former grad school teachers that I have. One of them in particular is very... Um, she doesn't give out praise very often and I got praise from her uh, and that was cool. It's neat when you get praise from someone that helped you grow uh, and see the person that you can be and it really, really felt good. I also closed the month of November as my month of gratitude and that was something special. I think there honestly is a lightness to my heart that, uh, that that made a difference in. And we're in December 2nd right now. And uh, the fact that I was gracious and, and had gratitude all month and did a lot of uh, concentrated service, I think made a big difference. And I know it made a difference with some of the students that I worked with because my Emerging Leaders students also said that being of service, that going out there, that serving other people was deeply gratifying for them too. Uh, they saw how if we all did these things in small ways, we could all make the world a little bit of a better place and that was deeply gratifying too like it's cool when you find something that makes you a better person it's stunning when you see that it also helps people that are watching you and so i was really blessed by that so self-care has been interesting because i've been sick pretty much all week but i got in three times of lifting which is great considering i only got to start on thursday specifically so i got thursday friday and saturday in so that was good i got zero cardio in I think all my cardio is just learning how to breathe again since all that mucus was in my lungs. So that is a bit of concern for me though. And we talk about self-care. Self-care is what you do to make sure you're okay so you can continue the fight, so you can be a better person, so you can get better today to be a better person tomorrow. But it's an area of concern for me because I have a bit of high blood pressure and it's something that I need to watch and get on the ball with soon because a weak heart could definitely hurt me in the future. And some people say I'm big hearted. So if, a weak, if I have a weak big heart, that's a problem. I also was able to meditate three times a week for at least 10 minutes. It wasn't super high quality stuff. But I did get my mindfulness moments in and I am appreciative of that. And thankfully, I am, on the, I am well on the road to recovery uh, from what I'm guessing was a muted flu in this past week. So that is positive in that I know that I'm getting better right now. So on to the podcast for today, how the white working class just got sacrificed at the altar of the rich. So first point, first, how do we get here? Trump really, really played the working class white people in this country. And um, when I say working class, I think he played working class people, but I also think, think he specifically played working class white people in this last election. So when I say working class, it does not mean poor and it does not mean middle class. It means that is basically anyone who is below the 80% threshold of income earners. So that would mean anyone making $500,000 and below. And the reason I say $500,000 and below is because if you make $500,000, I think you still rely on the rest of us to make your income. If you're uh, making a million dollars or more, I don't know that you need the great 80% of us to get what you need to do done to make your livelihood work. And if you're not working in a systemically sustainable society, then you are at risk of being hurt too. That's why that $500,000 a year number is there. If you make below that amount, those were the groups that were specifically targeted by Trump in his bid to get elected in the 2016 presidential campaign. And I say white, but I also mean white and whiteness. So that would mean anybody that's a minority that believes in the idea of whiteness, if as though if we just act white, as though we just act as though all these other things don't matter, that we will not get hurt or targeted. So the targeting of working class whiteness was intentional and it was specific. There is no doubt that the world is changing and it's changing pretty fast right now. Before it was a given that you could buy a home, that you could raise a family, and that you could even potentially send your children off for the opportunity of higher education on only one person's income in a household. Now that's especially true and statistically also especially true if you were a white man. And that was even more so true a decade ago and a decade or two before that specifically. You could count on the pretty much before the 80s. If you had one person working in your household that could afford to take care of basically your whole household. Now that is changing radically. And the reason for that change is more and more that socioeconomic class is creating a very big sense of people that have and people that have not in our society. Right now, middle class are those folks that are designated to make between $42,000 a year and $125,000 a year. That is for a family of three and roughly 50% of all people fall into that area between $42,000 a year and $125,000 a year. So, if you are upper middle class, you make between $100,000 a year and $150,000 a year. So, see, you're still in that working class area with some of that uh, upper middle class thing. Now, if you are in the upper class, and that's 14% of the population, that means you make over $200,000 a year. Lower middle class would be folks making $18,000 a year to $47,000 a year. There's specific numbers in there, but I'm rounding off just to kind of give you a sense because I think like whole dollar amounts might get a bit confusing. So lower middle class again is $18,000 a year to $47,000 a year for a family of three. Now below $18,000 a year is the poverty level and that's about 15%. 15% of all people live there specifically. So that's Social class in a nutshell. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about wealth and who has the most. So, it is important to note that 90% of us make well below what the top 10% make, which is well over a million dollars earned a year. Of that 10%, this is the number of people that exist in that 10%. There's 3 million. 227,620 people that are in the top 10%. And of that 1% of us, that's 322,762. That top 1% make $8 million a year. All right? That is in a nation of 326 million people. Only 3 million of us are in the top 10%. So statistically, that's, that's pretty low. So that means for the rest of us, right? So that means 20%, and that is 6,455,240. So 20%, which is about 6.5 million of us, own 83% of all the wealth, all money that there is to have, is owned by six million five hundred thousand people, roughly in this country, and everybody in the country is three million three hundred and twenty-six million people, right? So, roughly six million of that is them, and the rest hundred of the three hundred and twenty million is is the rest of us, right? So the rest of us—that's roughly three hundred and sixteen million people compete and fight and scratch for the 17% of wealth left that's available to the rest of us because the 83% is owned by that 6,500,000 people, right? They own that stuff. And somehow we're totally cool with the fact that these super, super real th- rich and wealthy people own 80% of all wealth. And that is because there is a notion of meritocracy and this is, notion of a meritocracy means that you get what you work for and you earn what you get. So if you work hard, you get what you earn. And if you work really hard, you will be rewarded for that no matter what. As long as you bust your ass, you're going to get rewarded for it. You just got to work really hard and you'll get to where you're hoping to go. So either that means 80% of all of us are lazy as shit, <laughs> like horribly lazy, not really trying very hard, or it means the game is rigged. So I think working class whites might feel as though the game is rigged, but because of the notion of meritocracy, because of this notion of that what we work for is what we deserve exists, they feel the problem comes from the other 17% of us that don't have that wealth. Basically, they think the problem comes from the fact that we're getting beat out by the other 17% of us that are fighting over the wealth that's left that the, 80, that the 20% already have. They feel like the people that we're competing for for that 17% are the barrier to us being able to get to 20% that own 80% of everything else. So what Trump did is he used this notion of meritocracy to act like it, it was the immigrant, the undocumented person, the refugee, the terrorist, the black welfare queen, the freeloaders, the people on food stamps. These are the people that are the problem. And these people, these assholes, are the reason why we're still fighting and scratching to survive. That was the notion he positive and, and And honestly, white working class people ate that shit up big time. But what I don't understand, the math that I can't add up in my head is how can you be looking at a person with nothing? They literally have nothing. They have less than you. And you're thinking their existence is the thing that's keeping you from success? You're looking at this person with nothing. And we are ultra aware of rich people and all their opulence and all that being around us all the time. But you look at this person with nothing and they're the reason we're in this situation when there's all these other people with all this stuff. like. $8 million a year? $8 million a year? And you and you don't see that person as the problem? But because there's this idea of meritocracy, we still feel that the rich have earned it. Or at the very least, we leave rich people alone. And Trump allowed all of the rest of the 80% of us to turn on each other. So black, Mexican, LGBT, and whites, as long as you were part of the working class, you were part of the problem. And it was not Trump alone where that idea came from, in all honesty. Democrats have been known over and over and over to demonize stupid, uneducated, cis, hetero, white working people for not knowing they are being taken advantage of. They treat them like dumb assholes because they don't know. And that's also where part of that problem came from is if one group is at least reaching out to you, even if they don't have your best interest in mind, at least they're appealing to you. Everybody else is just asking like you're stupid for not knowing any better. Right? You see where that problem comes from and how it keeps going. Now, I'm not saying there's other problematics that are not involved in this process, but still, if one group acts like you're stupid and you should know better, and another group out reaches out to you and acts like you're part of them and could be part of them, who, whose hand are you going to reach back towards? If I don't need help, then I don't need to be blamed. I need someone to point me to where the source of the problem is. If I need help and if I'm being taken advantage of, don't demonize me. Show me how I can help. Show me where the source of the problem is and get me on your team. And honestly, the source of the problem is social class. It's not the only problem we have, but it's one of the biggest problems that really affects us in a very, very intersectional way. So second, you're probably wondering why I'm so pissed about this bill and what that means because I don't know that you may pay attention to the news as much as I do. But I pay attention to the news a lot. So how do, does this tax bill sacrifice the working class for the benefit of the ultra-rich at the very, very top 5% at max best? So there are tax cuts in this bill to the tune of $32,000 per person for the richest 1%. Now, for the richest 0.1%, the super, super rich, they're gonna get a tax cut of $208,000 a year, okay? So now, let's put this into perspective. So let's say to have a job, it costs, you're gonna pay the person $60,000 a year, right? A, a good wage, right? But that $60,000 a year, also has benefits there's right you need health benefits you need a 401k you need dental you need vision all this other stuff right so i'm going to say those other benefits cost another forty thousand dollars a year so if the richest point 0.1% hired everybody with all their tax savings it would only result in six million jobs and remember how many people are in america 326 million that's not that big of a splash that's not enough especially when you look, that this tax cut for these rich people is gonna be 1.5 trillion dollars. And this is for people that are already rich. These are for people that already have money. They're not hurting, they're good, all right? Now in this tax bill, if you make less than $75,000 a year, you are going to be seeing a tax hike, my friend. And that means if this tax cut is really supposed to be budget neutral, and that means that if you make less than $75,000 a year, well, Buster, guess what? You're going to be paying for that tax cut for these really rich people. And part of the reason why I'm so upset is because as of April... I will be making $50,000 a year at my job. I have no problem telling people how much I make because um, I think transparency is good and I think if we really talked about who's making what, we'd have a better sense of who should get paid for the work that they're doing. I think some of the problem is we don't know what our neighbor makes, we don't know what the other people make, so we don't know what our fair market value is because that's hid from us. We don't know how much true worth we bring to a company. So I got no problem telling you. I make $50,000 a year, that's what I get paid. Now, how is this going to hurt working class people specifically? It's going to hurt people with retirement benefits because this plan proposes to add at least $1.5 trillion to the national debt. Fiscal conservatives say the imbalance needs to be offset by either cuts to entitlement programs like Medicare, Social Security, or Medicaid, or by further tax increases. And if it comes from the group that just did this uh, tax hike, uh, uh, it's not a tax cut it's a tax hike if they do this tax hike again they're going to do it on all of the working class people's backs the other reason why this is a problem is because the gop plan will actually really raise taxes for middle class people over time president trump and the other gop ally- allies have been crowing about how Middle-class families will receive a tax cut in their plan, but this truth is obscured by the fact that several tax breaks, like personal exemptions or property tax write-offs, are either cut or limited in some way. Moreover, whatever meager personal cuts proposed now may go away in the future to pay for huge rate reductions for global corporations and the ultra-wealthy. Uh, this was noted by Catherine Rampell in the Washington Post Republican leaders keep claiming the bill focuses on helping the middle class But voters are already catching on to the fact that the biggest tax cuts go to the wealthiest Lately the public has learned that the Senate bill will actually raise taxes on households making less than $75,000 by 2027 relative to current law Yes you read that right. It's gonna raise those taxes. Even if you don't count the bills changes to the Affordable Care Act. Graduate students and families paying off their college debt will see whatever modest tax breaks vanish. So if you're paying interest on your student loans or if you're a graduate student and you have to pay off loans, guess what? You used to be able to write off that interest. That's gone. Now you're gonna pay for that stuff and you can't even write that stuff off against your income. Instead of giving families tax credits for college bills or for nursing and home care bills, they will pay more out of pocket, while the estate and alternative minimum tax on the ultra-affluent disappear. So the estate tax means that if you have an estate worth over a million dollars, or if you make a ton of ton of money uh, in your own business, there was a thing called an alternative minimum tax, that rate got lowered from 40% to 20%. Uh, and that's the only things that usually big, big corporations or the ultra wealthy can afford. Whereas where you were able to pay, get credits for your college bills, or or if there was nursing or home care bills, you can't write that stuff on it off anymore. That stuff's gone. We don't get that anymore. That's what poor people used. And on the terms of healthcare, the GOP tax reform template would cause millions to lose their health coverage or to pay more and that is according to a fresh analysis from the AARP Public Policy Institute. They are guessing that people ages from 50 to 64 would face an average premium increase of up to $1,500 in 2019 as a result of this bill. This bill is slated to add to the deficit and it's gonna need to be paid for by working class people of all backgrounds but it's especially gonna hurt you if you make below $200,000 a year. And I really feel like this is very, very bad news for you if that's the case. Additionally, and here's another thing that's gonna be a really, really big problem, is the people that just lost money in this plan were the people that needed to spend the money they would get the most, right? So if you make $75,000 or less, Chances are you're not going to save that money that you got extra, right? So if you make $75,000 or less and I give you $5,000, you're probably not just going to stow it away. You probably need that $5,000 for something, right? So me, right? I make $50,000 a year. If I got $5,000 extra, I'm going to save that to buy a new car within the next year or two. And yeah, I'm going to have to probably buy a used car. Why? Because I'm not rich enough to be able to buy a new one. But do you see how if you helped me, I would need to spend that money right away, and that would make a big difference for people, right? So the people that are getting the money in this tax plan are people that don't need that money already. They don't need that money. They are gonna probably save that money because they didn't need that new money to begin with. This idea that they're gonna make new jobs with this new money doesn't make any sense because why would they make new jobs if the rest of us can't afford to spend more? We're gonna be able to spend less so they're not gonna make more. They're gonna make less jobs and they're gonna need to have less jobs because they're gonna be making so much more money from all these tax savings. Where will the new spending come from if people who don't need the money aren't gonna get it to spend it? If there is no do, If there is no new demand, then supply backs up, which is why if you want to stimulate an economy, you have to do it with the people that need to spend it rather than waste it on the people who can afford to save it. Does that make sense? Um, I've heard that a million times, but I finally figured out how to say it today. You know, that whole notion of trickle down, if you help the people at the top, it will trickle down to the rest of us, doesn't make any sense whatsoever because they don't need to have to spend it. And especially if you do it at the cost of people who are poor, they're not going to be able to buy things and they need to buy things. So if you take less of their income away, they're, you're not going to stimulate the comedy. You're going to constrict it and kill it. Trump just turned on the very people he counted on to get him elected. And the question that comes to us as inclusive activists is what will we do as they notice? They just got screwed? How will we act? Which brings me to point three. Pretty much all working white class people are going to be hurt by this bill. And as of this podcast, that Senate bill just passed. I think there's a lot of smoke with the Mueller bill and I think the GOP's desperate to get something passed. But now they just turned on the people that they were relying on to get them voted in. So now what? How are we going to act? Are we going to blame the people that just got suckered? After all, they just voted for the rich white guy. They voted for the guy who has been rich his whole life to try to help the beleaguered working class. They turn to the guy who doesn't pay his contractors for services delivered and jams them up in court with his high-priced lawyers. And knowing they can't fight, will need to give up and move on or be forced to go bankrupt and never get paid. The white working-class bloc that voted for Trump just got hammered. Was it a stupid move to trust this guy on their part? Yeah, yeah, it sure was. So, do we tell them so? Do we go, F yeah! You just picked the wrong guy. How will we choose to react to them in this moment of severe betrayal? Now all of us, the rest of us, right? All of us non-cis, hetero, white, rich, citizen, US-speaking, able-bodied, non-hyphenated Americans know exactly what it feels like to be ripped off. We know how it feels to be taken advantage of. We know what it feels like to be lied to. And we know what it feels like to be victims of an oppressive system. We know that pain and we understand that fear, really and truly. If anybody's gonna connect with this sentiment, it's going to be us. But how are we going to act? Are we gonna gloat? Are we gonna posture? Are we gonna tell them that this ended up just exactly the way we told them it was going to? Are we gonna tell them how stupid they were? Are we gonna tell them how we tried to help them over and over again? Are we gonna tell them how we told you so? We told you so. We told you so. Or are we gonna see our fellow human, ass in the dust, knocked the fuck out by their champion, turned on, betrayed, and humiliated? And are we gonna offer them a hand? Will we welcome them in? knowing honestly that white is still a measure of diversity, even if it's overvalued in social, in social hierarchy. Are we going to laugh at them and spit on them while they're down? are we going to take this opportunity to reach out and make a friend? And that, my friend, is up to you. I think you know my stance. I honestly feel this can be an opportunity. But please, in the future, if you choose not to use this as an opportunity... Don't make me say I told you so. So in review, the major points of this podcast were how Trump used white working class people to get elected by manipulating, oddly enough, their own white fragility against them. Second was how this bill just hurt non-working class people and just how bad we all got screwed. And lastly, I talked about what now. Now that this happened, now that this came about, and I think all of us in the inclusive activism community, all of us trying to make social change for the rest of us, knew this would happen. How are we gonna act? What will you do? So if this podcast made you think of something, or if you have a question, or if you have a shocking critique, which there's a lot of room for critique in this podcast, so I'd be stunned not to hear some critique in this podcast. Know that you can get a hold of me by calling me at 860 576 9393. 93. Again, that inclusive activism hotline is 860 576 9393. And that is going to be your opportunity to let me know. Blast me. Tell me about what, what I'm thinking of. Uh, tell me about why I'm wrong. Or tell me about why uh, you might be considering now after you heard me talk about this. This podcast is a space for us to talk. It's a place for you to ask me questions. It's a space for me to respond to those questions. I can just hit pause and answer your question in the middle of your voicemail. It's amazing. You can hit me with scenarios of what do I do with my uncle as I make him aware of this thing, right? I can. What do I do with my grandma now that she becomes aware of this situation and her pension's under threat or um, that her Medicaid or her supplemental insurance is going to go up? What do I do, right? So email me at inclusiveactivism at net. voicemail me at 860-576-9393 and let's have a dialogue about this stuff because that's where i really think this is going to get dynamic is when we can really have a back and forth about these types of topics and by these types of issues and also if you're interested in booking me and bringing the power of inclusive activism of inclusive activism to your organization. You can always do so at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. That's I N C L U S I V E A C T I V I S M at cox.net. And you can learn about me and Sarah and this organization at www.inclusiveactivism.com. Thank you very much for your time and attention, and I hope to see you in the coming weeks.